1: All right, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Vicki. Brett is here and she is going to be talking to us about special education law.
0: Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me.
1: So I was just talking with you about how a few weeks ago I actually chatted with Caitlin McLarnon. She's a psychologist. And we went into depth about You know, your child struggling in school and elementary school. When do you start intervening? How do you intervene? What are you looking to achieve and ask for? I think the hardest part about all of this and like navigating the special education system is knowing what to ask for because I Mm -hmm. had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. So, you know, what is a 504? What is an IEP? All of those questions were answered in that episode. And so I'm really excited, Vicki, to have you on today to talk about what happens after we have something like this in place and what our rights are as parents and what we can advocate for and ask for. I'd love for you to start off with, you know, like what
0: made you go into special education law? Yeah. I mean, that's always a fun question for me to answer because my aunt had, she was a wonderful, or she is still a wonderful one who adopted and fostered many children. And one of my cousins, Ken, was on the spectrum. We didn't know growing up that he was on the spectrum. And it was just once I was in law school and my business partner, Amanda, uh, we had met while well, we studied abroad in Spain, and she wanted mm-hmm. us to have a class together. And she goes, hey, I'm doing the special education clinic. You should join it. And I was like, oh, I need an extra couple units for sure. And it's just so funny because we didn't even end up in the same class. I went to the Orange County, and she was in the LA class. Like They split us up. It was so funny. But once I kind of was introduced into this world of special education law, it, it made me realize, oh, my my cousin, Ken, like I'd been to IEPs, right. And not really understanding Mm -hmm. that this whole world, we love talking in acronyms. So an individualized Mm -hmm. education program or plan, most people say, that's just the tip of the iceberg of of the acronym. So I'll be sure to, to remember when I'm saying the acronyms, but it really was just a natural area of the law. You know, I was able to speak with people. I'm I'm a people person. I had I'd gone to law school thinking I was going to be an environmental law attorney. If it's I'm dating myself, but Aaron Brockovich had come out. I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. And I, you know, I had a Coast Keepers fellowship. And really, you know, with just Amanda's, you know, suggestion of like, we should have a class together. Like I really fell into this wonderful kind of wild west still, even though it was created in the 70s, mm-hmm. the federal law that we work under it's individualized, so you can have something completely different for this child with dyslexia than this child with dyslexia. And mm-hmm. that just fascinated me to no extent. So I really have my law school's special education clinic and Amanda to thank for helping me realize this was an area of the law that I just absolutely enjoyed trying to problem-solve for each and every individual case that came to me.
1: Yeah, I love hearing the stories of how people got to where they are because Mm -hmm. it's so interesting, right? Just one little curveball and you ended up doing
0: something totally different. Yeah. And then you start seeing the connections, right? Like, oh, if I hadn't had a cousin on the spectrum, like, would it have been as interesting? Like, I, yeah. So, anyway, I enjoy those stories too. (laughs) Yeah. And it's great because,
1: you know, it assures that people go into something that they feel passionate about, you know, and Mm -hmm. having that extra, this is why I do this really helps to propel you forward when you're going through it and and when you're practicing. You mentioned in your bio that you are one of the few firms that offer pro bono and low bono rates for your clients. I wanted to have you just explain a little bit about why you do this and who is often violated that kind of pushed you to offer this to your clients.
0: Yeah. So pro bono means free. So you're able to provide the services free of charge. And low bono was a term that we heard years ago, another nonprofit, use it. And and we thought, oh, that's just such a fun way of of kind of saying lower costs for services. Mm -hmm. We are in Orange County, Southern California, and there are a lot of people in one section that have a lot of money and so <laughs> whatever objective that they want to reach they they have the the funding to do mm-hmm. that and some of the attorneys in our area they you know they've been doing it a long time and have different backgrounds and so you know they charge a premium and there's this whole other section of the population that would not even, like, they don't even know that this area of the law exists. And then Mm -hmm. let's say they figured it out and it's going to be, you know, for example, $10,000, like that's just not feasible for a lot of people. So when Amanda and I, uh, I was a year ahead of her in law school. So I worked for a small boutique law firm that did special education law. And then they also did family law and... Mm -hmm. They really wanted me to start doing family law and that was just like not my cup of tea. I I really enjoyed the special education aspect and Amanda and I would get together. She eventually finished law school and worked at a just a special education law firm. They they didn't do anything else. And so we'd get together and we just kind of started you know thinking well, one day we're gonna have a law firm like ten years from now, right? And mm-hmm. ten years very quickly turned into like a year and a half, two years after she was out. i I'd, I'd been an attorney for two two and a half years she had been in attorney for a year and a half, and we just decided we could we could do this differently. And mm-hmm. one of those the main kind of value that we had was to try to provide affordable services. And that's just kind of, I mean, nobody else is doing it. We're already in a niche kind of area. And so then we decided to make ourselves even more niche and try to help as many families as we could. And that's where our nonprofit inclusive education project kind of came to life.
1: Yeah, I think that's
0: awesome. Now, what are like some of the cases that
1: you'll get involved in? So like, obviously, these, the cases that you're getting involved in, these kids already have either an IEP or 504 or something like that, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the majority of the, yeah, the cases, you know, parents find us more often than not when they're pissed off, right? (laughs) So they're Googling or, you know, whatever. Now, I would argue that there is probably a larger percentage of the population that doesn't know that they need an IEP. And that's why we like having the nonprofit so that we can do presentations and really like Kind of start the conversation. Mm-hmm. A man and I have a podcast called the Inclusive Education Project podcast. And that kind of came about because, you know, to start the conversation about these things and to make people realize that they have more in common with each other than not, mm-hmm. we wanted to kind of start these different conversations about special education because now you will know someone or you in your lifetime will experience a disability whether that's in your 80s when you're using a walker whether it's having glasses you know whether it's breaking your your leg and then you know having a hard time walking you you will experience or have somebody in your life experience a disability they're just different right and so mm-hmm. because this world is so different big, we wanted to make sure we did two things, try to spread as much of the information as we could about this area of the law and the rights that parents have, if their child has an IEP. And also to try and normalize that, you know, your child may only need a few services, your child may only need a 504 rather than an IEP, because you're not needing services, you're needing accommodations. But it Mm -hmm. all sounds like a another language and so then to help people kind of learn this language which i'm sure you you know you've you've kind of like oh my god this is a whole other like i have to be you know practicing this stuff whether it's googling or listening to a podcast just so that you feel like you can understand when the district is having a conversation with you so we like to say that we are translators in every sense of the word for mm-hmm. people because yes parents are upset maybe their child isn't making progress. And so then they find us and we're able to either, you know, bridge or maybe sue to kind Mm -hmm. of get a clean slate so that everybody can be on the same page and move forward together. And more often than not, I like that avenue. Let's just sue them. Like there's already past violations. Let's get that corrected. And then you guys can start moving forward together. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's really kind of our approach to a lot of the situations that are presented to us.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel like Educating and telling parents that this even exists is half the battle because, Mm -hmm. and I can only imagine that district to district, it varies so differently as to how proactive the school Mm -hmm. system is in getting the child that help that they need. And I can Mm -hmm. only imagine that in the districts that have less money, less resources, and you know... These kids are probably at such a disadvantage already. Mm -hmm. And then they're in a district where, you know, some of these things might be falling through the crack and they go, you know, however many years it is without something like, you know, a 504 or an IEP. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's kind of devastating because parents don't even know that that's an availability for their child. Right. And even in, so it really happens everywhere. With our child, we had to, and, you know, I've been told different things here and there, but she's in second grade. And, you know, I was told like, this is the very earliest that we would ever even consider doing anything. And it's like, it seems crazy to me to, to be on year three and have so many things stacked up against her Mm -hmm. and have to fight this hard, you know? Right. And it's like, if we didn't fight this hard, would we have ever even gotten here? How long would it have taken? How many years would it have taken, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to get here?
1: And it's interesting too, because I think, can you explain actually like how incredibly detailed these IEPs are? Because I also didn't realize that it's like very detailed. And so it kind of, they're supposed to abide by this and kind of update you on like Mm -hmm. each individual step from what I understand. But if you Mm -hmm. can kind of go over that a little bit more in depth, I think that would be helpful.
0: Yeah, of course. So just to kind of clarify too, we work under the Individuals with Disability and Education Act. That's the federal law. So Mm -hmm. states cannot limit what that federal law like at its basis provides for children with special needs. And so while there are laws that can vary state to state, for example, in California, if a parent makes a request for an IEP meeting, one needs to be done within 30 days of that request for the IEP meeting. Different states have different laws, but they just can't restrict what the overall federal laws are. So the good news mm. is the federal law is really good. <laughs> it, it gives parents <laughs> a lot of rights. But just Lindsay, how you had said, oh, I would imagine like even district to district is different. Even School to school, it mm. is different. You can be in the same district and you have a principal at one school who is all inclusive, has assemblies with everybody there with whatever supports they need, and then you go right up the street and that principal has separate assemblies. And so Mm -hmm. kids with IEPs go to a separate one, right? The the separate equal that, you know, the Supreme Court long, long ago struck down. But anyway, I digress. But yeah, so (laughs) when you have, I just wanted to kind of make that point, because when we're talking about the IEPs, again, individualized education program or plan, really is kind of like a promissory note. This is the, the school saying, we promise to provide these services. These are the goals that we will be working on. And in California, at least, a parent has to sign off on the IEP. We are consent-driven, whereas Arizona, for instance, is not, right? They just present the plan and it's like, we're just like doing it. Mm. There are certain things that Arizonians need to like sign off on, but, you know, that's a big difference between California and, and Arizona, for instance. So, Once you make a request for your child to have special education evaluations, they are to do those evaluations, have an IEP meeting. And at the IEP meeting as a team, you are supposed to decide whether or not the child needs these services. If they do, then you kind of go through, IEP should have the following. Present levels of performance flops. So we're gonna see how the child is doing now and kind of give summaries about that. The IEP is gonna be a summary of the evaluation. You want data to drive the IEP. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we hear people say things like that information drives services, services drive placement and you know, goal, you know, it's like this whole thing, right? And it's just like, okay, yes and no, right? (laughs) where Mm -hmm. we really need to focus on the child that is in front of us. And so then that's why you're going to have the present levels where the child that then you kind of go into goals. So there should be a baseline, the child can read this many words at a first grade level, let's say that the child's in second grade. So the goal for that year is, you know, at a second grade level, the child will be reading, you know, these goals should be understandable to the extent like your child should be able to understand them to a certain extent. And we say that because if it's really specific and this teacher understands, oh, yes, we're going to do a verbal cue. Okay, can we include like what some of those verbal cues are? Or if it's just very vague and it says cue, if you took that IEP to a different school or even a different district or out of state, they might not know that that person meant verbal versus a physical prompt. And so you want to get as specific as possible. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of already seems overwhelming because you're like, oh my God, we have all this information. <laughs> They're trying to go through it sometimes in two or three hours. Sometimes you have a part one, and then you have a part two. What we always recommend is ask for the draft copy before the IEP meeting. Now, mm-hmm. is there a federal law that says that they have to give it to you five days before the IEP meeting? Unfortunately, not. Is it a best practice that we encourage by asking for a draft copy? Absolutely. And you say, I'd like to review it thoroughly so that when we get to the IEP meeting, and I don't know if this is your experience, but sometimes I'll have teams sit there and like read the assessment report line Mm -hmm. by line. And then they're going to have a part two a month later to talk about why we're there, the meat and potatoes, right? The placement, the services. Mm -hmm. And so you just waste a lot of time. So We always encourage parents to, you know, when you sign the IEP meeting notice, that to a mutually agreeable time and place and date, place, I think now since the pandemic, we know that everybody can do virtual. So that has helped so many parents. And if you have a draft and you know it's going to change, wonderful. That way you can read it in your own time if they give it to you a day or two before. And then you can come prepared. the IEP meeting because otherwise you're just going to get railroaded. That's what it feels like. They're just like spewing all this information. There's like 10 people sitting across from you at a table or like on your Zoom. And it can be really overwhelming, especially if you are still kind of on the fence as to whether your child has a disability. And I say on the fence simply because moms will get there faster at times than dads do. Now, that Mm -hmm. is not just that's just from my experience. It can completely be reversed, but for the most part, you know, you you have to acknowledge the child that's in front of you. So when you're getting all this information, and you don't you're not able to digest it on your own. It, it makes that meeting somewhat difficult. So mm-hmm. trying to get a copy of it before now, I've had some teams say, "Well, we can't give you a copy of the IEP because it's an IEP. It's a living document, and we all have to discuss it." Okay fine. <laughs> or you can say, I acknowledge that this is just a draft. You guys have to have something. You're not going to just like create it on the fly, right? right? They, they have it created. And it's just a way to best practices, right? To mm-hmm. get everybody on the same page and to help you become that equal participant, which you are under the law. You are an equal participant. You hold just as much weight as the school psychologist, as the speech and language pathologist, as the district admin. And quite mm-hmm. frankly, I would say you are the expert on your child. And that should be the end of it, right? But sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. So I highly encourage parents, like, yes, it's very specific. It's supposed to have these goals. It's supposed to have these services that are going to help us accomplish those goals within a year. And then we have the placement. You know, are they staying in general education? Are they staying in general education with a one-to-one aid? Are they getting pulled out for certain times of the day? Are they having occupational therapy versus speech and language therapy? And to have a thorough discussion is helpful. And it's hard to know what questions to ask. And I'll just give this example. We had a child where speech and language was like Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Well, that was just the time when the teacher that the child normally attend at that time would do art. And this child loved art. And she was protesting when she had to leave. And it was so wild to me that they, they knew why. But they're just like, we don't know what to do. And I was like, can we just not have speech and language some other time? Like, (laughs) it was just as simple as that, right? Yeah. And it's okay to make those adjustments. Sometimes it feels like, well, it's speech and language at 10 o'clock every Tuesday. And it's like, okay, if you already know that that's when PE or your child needs to be outside, you don't want them to miss recess. That is important because it's just going to be an uphill battle if we don't take into consideration the child as an individual, So that's, like, a really good example of, like, a parent kind of seeing, like, yeah, she's missing art, and she loves art, and now she doesn't want to go to school because you guys pull her out, and that's Mm -hmm. information that the team needs to know because, like, sometimes they're too close to it, and, like, they... They like, can't see. It's really mm-hmm. weird. It's a really mm-hmm. weird dynamic.
1: Yeah. in my personal experience, it was, I mean, it's all so incredibly overwhelming, but they do. Mm-hmm. In, in our case, they had two meetings, one, both virtual back to back, like on a Wednesday and then a Thursday. So it oh, was like good, Wednesday. Good, good. Well, actually, we were given all the results the week prior. So we Lovely. were able to read the results, which mm-hmm. again... I mean, I'm reading them and I do understand most, but like it's still confusing. They do a thousand different tests that have mm-hmm. these And it's like, I don't understand really what I'm looking at, right? Yeah. And then so that the first meeting was you met with all of the specialists and they go over the results and you're able to ask questions. And then that second meeting is when they're able to put something into place. And then they talk mm. about what they wanted to put into place. Now, in my case... I, it's crazy because, you know, the legality of it, apparently, you know, they're not allowed to say certain things. And so I went into that first meeting. I'm already a parent who was really on guard because of Mm -hmm. certain things that had happened all the way up until Mm -hmm. this point. And so I went in that meeting feeling like I had to fight for my life, fight for my kid, right? So I was already at a place where I was ready to like, put my foot down and really start advocating. Mm-hmm. And I hate going into something like that, but I, I I was at that point. And so at the end of that first meeting, when they're telling me, you know, the results of everything, which to me sounded like she needs help in multiple areas, okay. is how it came across to me. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the end I'm like, well, you know, I just want to have an idea of what I need to bring to the table tomorrow. Like, should I be talking with other people? Like we had a a reading specialist that she was seeing outside of school. Okay, I was like, maybe I need to bring them in. I I just want to make sure that at this meeting tomorrow, we will walk away with something that is able to help her with all of these things she's currently struggling with. And they're like, we cannot talk to this at all. Like we can't speak on it. We cannot tell you if she's going to be offered services. We cannot tell you. And I'm like, this is crazy.
0: Because they this had to get like, through the like assessment results. Is yeah. That what they she's were like, we can't say oh, any. God. Well, no,
1: it was after the assessment results, but they were like, we can't tell you what we're doing for her if we're doing anything until tomorrow. And I'm like, I just want to be prepared yeah. for this meeting. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, I need 100%. to know if I have to go to this meeting with like, having researched X, Y, and Z, because you want to have, you want to bring everything to the table that you can. If they want to tell me that they don't want to give my, my kid what they, what I think they need, I need to be prepared to say, okay, well, this is why I think that my child needs this. And so I wanted to be as prepared as possible. And they would not allow me to do that. It was like, you know, like you, we can't tell you at all whether or not she's going going to qualify after telling me all these results. And I'm like, this is cuckoo. So actually they ended up, Yeah, they were like, at at the end, I guess they had told, there's like somebody from the school that's like in charge of like the special education as a whole. And so she actually like contacted me at hours later and was like, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. You don't need to prepare. Everything's (sighs) going to be fine. And I'm like, that doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, first of all, you could have told me that earlier. Yeah. Like
0: second of all, I just, this is so silly. Like what a silly dance this is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what it is. It's like, you're hiding the ball and it's really frustrating because that has no basis in the law. Right. I had kind of given the example of them saying like, well, this is a living document. We have to like talk about it. And it's just like, yes, but you know what? As a living document, it like breathes. And so you don't have to go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like we can go mm-hmm. from A to Z. And then just get like an overview, right? And then like, let's go back and kind of talk through everything because that's how actual conversations between a team actually work. While I appreciate her picking up the phone and calling you, it might've just been like a weird thing that some district person years ago was like, we cannot not like misinterpreted the law mm-hmm. or like their attorney might've said something and then they just took it the wrong way. And so then it's like, well, this is how we've always done it. And like mm-hmm. that, Grinds my gears. It's like, I don't care if you've been doing this for 30 years. Like, this is not the best way to approach parents. I get this all the time, too. Somebody is trying to be supportive and they're like, well, you know, so and so, or they bring up another kid or they go, well, my kid has ADHD. And and it's like, you know, with all due, like, I don't really care about your kid. We're here for this child. Like, I don't (laughs) care about anybody else but this child. And guess what? it is individualized. So I don't care that it worked for 500 kids with ADHD. We're talking about my kid. And mm-hmm. I have to remind teams of that. Hey, I appreciate that input. We are talking about this child and their unique needs. What are we going to do to help this child? Like, if you're saying that that, you know, worked for your kid, and we're telling you it's not going to work here, like, let's, let's get back onto this child. And, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. They've As a district, sit through hundreds of IEPs a year, you know? Mm -hmm. But for this parent, it might only be the first one. It might only be the fifth one. It it doesn't get any easier. Again, when you have 10 people on your Zoom and they're all, you know, talking about your child in a very sometimes sterile way, right? It's nerve wracking. And it's like, I'm happy that you had the meetings back to back, but then, yeah. For them to not even say, like, hey, this is what we're going to kind of go over tomorrow and, like, really try to leave you hanging, like, to me is just, like, not a not the best way to approach that situation mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, not Yeah.
1: At all. It seems so crazy. And, it, you know, the answer was, well, you know, we're not allowed to legally tell you if we're offering accommodations or services for her at this time until we actually start the meeting tomorrow.
0: <laughs> okay. So then what was this meeting? Cause then like right. you started the meeting. So I don't understand right. like that. Well, makes. Sense. And they're like, like well, this uh, meeting was only about the results. And I'm
1: like, no, I think that, this I is made up
0: time. Yeah. No, 100%. <laughs> and the whole, like what you had said before too, I wanted to comment on like, this is the earliest we've ever second grade. Are you serious? I, my daughter is in TK and I can tell you there are three or four kids in her class that I can already tell just from volunteering that should be evaluated. And it doesn't mean that they're I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not saying, hey, these kids have special needs and unit. No. All the district is obligated to do is is this child find obligation where if there is a suspicion that there is a disability that can be preventing the child from accessing their curriculum or social emotional needs or vocational needs, the IDEA go at three here in California we have Uh, centers that are called regional centers, and they really help from zero to three and then beyond school. So 22 beyond or 18, they have Mm -hmm. uh, graduated with the diploma. Um, The regional centers are here for um, people with disabilities and and helping them with work or housing or whatever. And so there is this natural here in California where it's like, okay, regional center is making referral to the district. Okay, district, like you now need to do your evaluations. All the district needs mm-hmm. is a suspicion. The suspicion can come from the parent. The suspicion can come from the school. If there is just a reasonable suspicion that the child may have a disability, that's when they should be evaluating. So if you're waiting until second grade, this is the absolute earliest we will ever do it. That is against the law. You should not be waiting until second grade. Like mm-hmm. a children will show you immediate, like, you are born with autism. It doesn't just magically appear at three Mm -hmm. or in the second grade. That's just like not how it works. So that's a little startling. But I have heard that here as well, which is maddening. But you know, they heard yeah. somebody say it and so then they adopted it as their own philosophy and it's not a good one. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and, you know, who I don't know if they're speaking specifically to like what my daughter has, you know, mm. like, oh, well, the earliest we would diagnose this is, or the earliest we would ever give her any type of services is second grade for this. And mm. I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, what is the disadvantage?
0: Right. <laughs> well, looking for it sooner. Every, I just
1: yeah, not like, sure. And like, I do understand, you know, if a child's having trouble with reading and writing they need to be able to read and write or to try to read and write first like you're not gonna diagnose that when they're two or three like I get that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if somebody struggles for right. two and a half years in tiered right. support right right
0: mm-hmm.
1: they shouldn't be in tiered support for that long there should be an automatic bump up and flag that says like okay we've done this enough we need to move on to the next thing like something's hindering this this child and you know it's just it's so unfortunate because like I said I know so much now, and so it's easy to see it from the outside perspective. And for my younger two kids after her, you don't know these things. You don't even know they exist. And you don't even know – like I think I had mentioned this in the podcast with Caitlin too. You know, you grow up thinking, oh, special needs kids. Mm -hmm. I guess you probably have this, you know, preconceived notion of Mm -hmm. what that actually means and what the definition is. But this can be a child – that just fidgets a lot in class and needs Mm -hmm. certain accommodations. Mm -hmm. It can be a child who is having trouble concentrating because they're always too far from the teacher and they need accommodations to sit closer. Mm -hmm. It can Mm -hmm. be literally for anything. Yeah. And it's just so that the child can have the same playing field as the other kids Mm -hmm. in the class. Mm -hmm.
0: It could be a child. It could be somewhat temporary. We've had children that are receiving, uh, they have cancer and they're receiving chemo Mm -hmm. and you know, that changes the brain. So maybe they're on an IEP for a couple of years. And I think it's important for people also to hear like a 504, we get a lot of kiddos with ADHD on 504s. And that is a different section of the federal law in section 504, whereas the Individual Disability and Education Act is is another separate federal law. Mm -hmm. And and 504 plans really, you know, there's still assessments for those. And and it really speaks to accommodation. So, you know, Mm -hmm. breaks maybe they need water at their table if the you know teacher doesn't allow water in the classroom or whatever. And mm-hmm. just like certain things, whereas an IEP is, there's more in it, right? Like you can get services, you are getting the specialized academic instruction, you're getting speech and language, you're getting occupational therapy. I have seen some districts kind of mix like counseling into 504s, I would argue that is a service. And if you're going to that level for a child on a 504, you should be doing an IEP evaluation to see what else the child may need, right? Um, or a longer term kind of service. But I, I think it's really important for parents to understand that it may be temporary, your your child may only need the IEP for a couple years. Now, granted, I would imagine that if you have an IEP, you ride that until you, know, you graduate high school, like there's no need to, mm-hmm. to get off of it soon enough. But I know culturally, for some individuals from parents, you know, there's a lot of shame with it. And Mm -hmm. there is no shame in needing for and asking for help. And that's all we want. Early intervention, we know by far through the research, it helps kiddos tremendously. Mm -hmm. So to try to delay it, even till second grade is just such a disservice to a lot of our kiddos. And, you know, if you think that your child may have some sort of learning challenge, you know, ask for that evaluation. Because mm-hmm. that kicks that obligation of child fine to the district to get them to move and to do those evaluations, and maybe your child doesn't need it then but i've I've also had teams say, you know second, third, fourth grade, oh you know what she might not even need it until junior high what mm-hmm. you're saying that she totally needs it, but you're not going to give it to her until she's suffering like that's not okay, but you know a lot of people are reactive they're not proactive, and so then that's why mm-hmm. when we have families like yourself or parents like yourself that have to like push the limit and it shouldn't even be something to push but you have to yeah. so that they are more proactive as a team as a district right mm-hmm. which puts don't moms and dads already have enough on their plate like Honestly, can we just lighten it for them I a little know. bit I know. yeah it's really it's a problem <laughs> but yeah i mean we we always tell parents it's not you against them it really should be all of us against the Issue at hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what is the issue? My child is having learning challenges. So, how can we support that child appropriately so that they can access their education and not just academically, social, emotionally, and vocational? Mm -hmm. It's that's the little stool that we want to sit on. Okay. Like, I cannot tell you how many times it's like, well, it's not affecting his academics, so we're just not going to give him an IEP. Oh, okay, but he's like crying like to go home every day. Like, yeah. That's social, emotional, yeah. and vocationally like he doesn't know his phone number or whatever, right? You know, I, oh, that's also something that parents get told a lot. Oh, no, like academically. And, you know, we have a section, we, twice exceptional kiddos. Like they can be brilliant but also have learning challenges. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just mutually, you know, exclusive. Like they, they can be together. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think a lot of people understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Can you give people listening like any
1: online resources or books or something that you can recommend for them if they are in this situation and they want to like prepare themselves for what a meeting is like or just to get an idea of what to expect? Is there anything that kind of goes over that or maybe talks about like what state by state the actual laws are when it comes to some of these things? Because I know that yeah. they sometimes
0: differ a little bit state to state. Absolutely. So, rights law, W R I G H T, rights, <laughs> rights law is a wonderful online resource. You can go through state and then it gives you kind of like the general overview. Mm-hmm. Of, of different things and a uh, wonderful advocate for you know special education law and, and just kind of breaking it down like as a resource, uh, I think is a good spot online for parents to kind of check out. And then I also think our podcast, we go over a mm-hmm. lot of different categories of, of we've had so many different people on and then Amanda and I do kind of these solo episodes where sometimes we just kind of do case studies. like <laughs> We just kind oh, of fun, um, yeah. take a little bit from, yeah, because I think being able parents get the most from other parents that are, you know, experiencing the same thing that they're experiencing. And so if we're can take a case or a couple cases and blend them into like this hypothetical, you know, that's what we do with our presentations, you know, it very quickly devolves into like raising hand and then asking a specific question about Mm -hmm. them, which is fine, because there's probably three or four people that are listening that had the same exact question. Mm -hmm. And I think that Helps parents to not feel so alone. I think that you know Instagram um, has a lot of cons, but you know one of the pros is that you can find a community similar to to Facebook of of individuals that have groups that are talking about, hey, this is what's happening in my school district, mm-hmm. or this is what happened when this you know occurred, and it just helps the parent not feel alone because it's easy to get caught up in oh woe with me like this is just happening to me. And it's not,
1: if that's something
0: that I could like, tell people like you are not alone, and and you are not the first person to go through this, and you will not be the last person. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, is really, you know, I'm not gonna say, hey, go and get, you know, special education law and like, read that, like, that's not gonna be helpful. What's gonna be most helpful is being able to talk to other parents and kind of learn from their experiences because again it's individualized education programs so yes they might have different classes and and kind of cookie cutter ieps but it does not mean that you have to accept that it can be mm-hmm. as individualized as your child is mm-hmm. and i think that that's also important for people to you know take away is is that if that worked for 100 other kiddos with autism cool doesn't mean that it has to work for your child or, you know, that you even have to do it, right? Like if -hmm. if something works better and you can share that with them, then, you know, by all means, please do. So those, those two resources, I think are really good. Rights law is is really good for the person that just kind of wants to read things. And then if you just kind of want to listen to things, I think our podcast does a good job of hitting a lot of different topics and there's a lot from you to choose from and cater to what it is that you're kind of looking for. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, what rights do we as parents once, or maybe something wasn't put in place, maybe you go to the meeting and you very well thought that you're going to that meeting expecting to have accommodations or expecting to have services and maybe you're denied, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, something is put into place and I don't know, you know, months or a year or two goes by and you're not seeing what you would expect and you've tried Mm -hmm. to advocate, but they're not willing to change it or adapt.
0: What rights do you have as a
1: parent going forward from there?
0: Yeah, so I think you know a couple of things. You should be having an IEP meeting at least once a year. The goals are created to be completed in one year. If you're in, you know, you go to the IEP meeting, you sign consent you sign consent because you, you want it to start, right? Especially in California, like that's as soon as we sign consent, then they can start. If you don't, you know, we have what's called state put in essentially what that means is if they were trying to take away speech and language from one hour to 30 minutes, and you disagree, you can say yes to everything else, but the 30 minutes of speech and language. So then they have to keep the hour of speech and language. Mm-hmm. So these kind of little things that, parents need to like understand and and specific to their state. So that's why I'm talking about California specifically, Mm -hmm. you know, you you don't want to use that to just stay put for three or four years. That's not appropriate, right? You want to use it kind of as a jumping off point. Like, is there a way that we can either meet again and have another IEP meeting? You know, maybe you're not wholly convinced that 30 minutes is going to be, you know, needed or, you know, if you want them to take more data about things or behaviors like that's definitely something that you can request, but you do hold some agency and some power over, you know, the IEP being implemented and, and being put into place. But again, you have to look to your specific state. Mm-hmm. Even if an IEP is supposed to have a minimum a year, if If the IEP is put in place and it's been a couple months, you should be getting progress reports on the IEP goals. I can't tell you how many times people say, "I never get progress reports." Mm. (laughs) That's a big no-no. There are benchmarks right underneath the IEP Mm -hmm. goals that specify our goal is eighty percent. This child um, by if we're starting January by March, you know, the child will reach this goal fifty percent of the time. Then you know, sixty, then seventy, and then you know, eighty is is at the year. If you're already noticing that we're nowhere near that. You call an IEP meeting. You get in there and you mm-hmm. say what's going on. You can change the IEP. That's the beauty of an amendment. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can you can change maybe that goal was too ambitious and you agree. And so we we take we, we take a step back from that goal and maybe the child is missing this foundational component in the mass sequence that we didn't, that we thought that they knew, but they didn't. So now we have to change the goal so that it, it concentrates on this. And then maybe that, that goal can be in a couple of months or, you know, not. I've had teams mm-hmm. that go, Oh, the child passed this goal in the first three months. Um, excuse me. Why did we not have an IEP meeting and create a new goal? What yeah. was the child doing yeah. in this area? for the last eight months. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? Right. Um, So I think that that's something that a lot of parents don't realize, right, is that you under the law have to be an equal participant. And also, as much as we want to be able to trust these individuals, you know, the last time that we dealt with the school district was probably when we were kids. And so, you know, you, you just have to see them as just, humans too. And, you know, again, what is the issue at hand? My child is not making any progress on these goals, you know, and even when you go to that annual, it's been a year and maybe there's again, the goals should be simple enough that you understand, like you could try and see if this, the child is reaching this goal. So for instance, it's like the child's going to write their name, first and last name. Well, you can take a little bit of data yourself and, you know, you ask your child to, to write the name and they're not anywhere near it. That's something that needs to be brought up mm-hmm. because you need to see that this child is actually doing this in the school setting. Now, school setting, home setting, can it be different? Have I had people argue like, "Well, they're just so much more distracted in the school, and that's why." <laughs> I da, 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 and it's just like, I okay, it's neither here nor there. Like, we should be able to reach this goal with eighty percent mastery across all settings. So, mm-hmm. if I ask my child to write their name at home, even if it's less distracting or maybe more depending on, on the family, right? Um, my My child should be, you know, to me, that's not mastery if the child can't do it in the home. So obviously, right. there's certain things that you may not be able to mimic enough. But like, if you just have this nagging feeling, or you just know your child is not making progress, ask them for the data. You don't want the data just from the last two weeks, you want to kind of see the progression. And that's, the point of the IEP progress reports, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're supposed to be getting a little bit of information so that you guys can determine, do we need to have an IEP meeting halfway through the year? Do we Mm -hmm. need to change things? You have to be a little bit more. And it's just one of the thing that you have to be in charge of, which I hate to say, but you know, you have to be able to kind of see what needs to happen and push the team at times, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because they're going to have all their other teams that they're, you know, IEP team meetings that they are having to prepare and focus on. And you need to be that squeaky wheel that says, you know what, we need to have an IEP meeting because my child is not making progress. And maybe you go to that IEP meeting and they show you all this wonderful data. And it's just kind of, okay, yeah, glad that she's on target. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what we're seeing at home. What what can I do at home to like help you guys? But more often than not, you're not seeing that progress at school either. So then something needs to change. Either the goal needs to change or more support needs to be implemented. Mm-hmm. I was so surprised at that meeting when they were like, okay, so we will
1: reconvene in one year. And I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. what? Like yeah. <laughs> you just gave me all of this information, mm-hmm. right? You're mm-hmm. telling me Bye. X, Y, and yeah. <laughs> Z is, it needs help. And then mm-hmm. our goal our goal is to get together in a year. Like, right, right. You know, it just seems crazy to me to have to implement something five days a week and then say, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just talk again in 365
0: days. Totally.
1: Yeah, and so, yeah, across the board, I've had so many people tell me, like, you can email anytime you want. And they were very, okay. they were very nice. They were like, you can email us anytime you want, anytime you have a question. If you want to know how she's doing uh, every single Friday, Email me, let me know, and I will let you know how she's doing. So, you know, I do think, and, you know, I said this before in the other episode, we all have jobs and we're all Mm -hmm. caught up doing what we do best, right? And Mm -hmm. I'd like to Mm -hmm. think that what they're doing best is, is intervening and giving our kids what they need. And Mm -hmm. they might be so busy doing that that they're not able to close the loop with us. And so you know, it is one more thing to add to your list, but Mm -hmm. to know that your child is hopefully getting what they need from that person while they're at Mm -hmm. school is obviously the most important. I would much rather than be focusing in on my kiddo than to be focusing on what they
0: want to tell me at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I would venture to even, you know, what if you get used to that Friday kind of update, I would say that needs to be put in the IEP Mm -hmm. so that next year you don't have to like, what if you get a teacher that's just like, yeah, I don't do that. And it's just, oh, but we did it last year. Oh, is it in? And I hate to say this, but I've experienced this. And it's just like when it's in the IEP, you go, this needs to happen every Friday. This is in the IEP. It's part of a communication log or whatever. Right. Yeah. But that's what happens is a lot of times. We'll have a wonderful teacher. The kid's doing great in third grade. Then we get to fourth grade, and like we're Mm. seeing behaviors, we're seeing, and it's just like a personality shift you have somebody that's completely different. And so as many things as you can, whatever is working, get it in the IEP, it needs to be an accommodation, it needs to be a modification, because this is how this teacher is doing it. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's also important as well to get as much information into the IEP so that when you go to that new teacher, or when you, you know, when we, so we obviously do yearly services as well. We call it our care maintenance package. We're having like three or four IEP meetings in a year. It's not to be like annoying, but it just so happens to be like that. Maybe we're having a first 30-day IEP meeting because it's the beginning of the school year and we need to make sure that this teacher knows who this kid is. They know Mm -hmm. that their accommodations, like is there anything that needs to be changed? Then maybe we're having their annual in between there. And then we try to have an IEP meeting Before the next year, can we meet the teacher? Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't, but like, let's get everything in this IEP that this teacher has done this year that has worked for Johnny so that the teacher next year Mm kind of has a game plan. Yeah. So you can see each of those has a valid reason. You're in the know, it's kind of happening every couple of months. It's not excessive when you see that there is a there's a rhyme to the Mm read there. We know why we're doing this. So I would just, yeah, I would, that's a really great example of like, yeah, put that in the IEP because you should probably have that each and every time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, it's such a good idea. So
1: the last thing I wanted to ask you is like, what types of issues would typically warrant you to get involved? I mean, you did mention that sometimes you'll be present like at these actual meetings, but Mm -hmm. what are some type of issues that as a parent, we're like, okay, like I probably need to seek Legal representation?
0: Yeah, I, I think for each parent, I'll get the parents that are just, like I said, pissed off. And they are very articulate. They're just asking that this lunch egg not yell at the kids and use a whistle in their autistic child's face. Um, and it's just like something's lost, right? Something's lost in mm-hmm. transition. So we get those test parents. And then we get the parent. That maybe nothing, maybe it's kind of like a slow, like there's a crab in this pot and it's just like starting to get hotter and hotter. And, and unlike some unsuspecting crabs, they're starting to feel it boiling. And they're just like, you know, my child just has not made any progress in the last couple of years. And so mm-hmm. if your child is not meeting their goals, now sometimes we'll hear people say, well, they're making some progress. That's all they need to make. I would venture to say, no, we need to look at the this child and their particular circumstance. Now, particular circumstance, of course, includes what kind of disability that they have and their learning challenges and things like that. But it also can include, are they adopted? Are they homeless? Like, let's look at all mm-hmm. the special populations. And if something else fits, like you need to take that circumstance into consideration when you are trying to compose a plan that is individualized for this child. So yeah, I think that that is also really important for parents to understand. You don't have to wait until you're angry. If you have just general questions or you just, you don't know, like you've kind of heard some of my stories and you're like, oh, that's never happened to me. But then, you know, a couple of days later, you're like, oh, well, that person said this, like, you know, when we have a teacher go we'll is you know, and it's said in like a weird way. I don't have as much context, but it's just like, is your child on medication? And it's like, mm-hmm. hmm, is that an appropriate question for you to be asking? Like, why are you asking that? Mm-hmm. If you can just make it as long as you can, if it's starting to feel icky, if it's starting to feel like you're not being heard, then it might be time to venture to uh, an attorney. I, I think that there are wonderful advocates out there, at least in California in twenty seventeen, the attorney general came out and said like advocates need to be under the supervision of an attorney because we are, we are mm. they are doing the practice of law. You know, we've had many advocates that maybe went through the experience themselves. And and they're not just there as support for the parent and maybe asking a few questions. Like They are trying to do the work of an attorney and without knowing the law. And so then Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to clean up those messes. So if you're working with an advocate, of course, try to get some references from others that have used that person because some of them are so effective and so good at their job. But I think it crosses a line when they're telling parents to sign settlement agreements that should be drafted and reviewed by an attorney. Mm -hmm. So while there's so many wonderful advocates out there, I would just say, you know, you you probably want an attorney or need an attorney, not because you think like there's these gross violations that have happened, but maybe it's because you're not feeling hurt. You're not feeling like they are understanding what you're saying. And you just might need somebody that can be that translator for you, right? I, I speak Spanish, so... A lot of my clients are monolingual Spanish speakers and I am a literal translator for them as to what is happening and being said. But even for my English speaking families, I am also a translator because like I said, this is a whole area of law. This is a whole world. It's like learning another language and you don't know what you don't know. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to have somebody kind of review things and say, you know what? This is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. I don't say that very often. I have said it, but I don't say that very often. More often than not, I'm kind of seeing those slips and you know those cracks and, and the kid falling through these cracks. And we just have to get together and try to remedy the past so that mm-hmm. we are on solid footing to move forward. Because mm-hmm. as much as I would love to, I said this in a alternative dispute resolution session just yesterday, I was like, look, I would love to follow this client until they graduate high school. But like, that's not the reality. My job is to rebuild the relationship between you, the district and my client. So like, you know, let's get there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important for parents to know as well. Or if you just want the burden to be off of your shoulders for a little bit, that's also a good reason to reach out to an attorney to see, you know, what they can help with and alleviate that load. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay.
1: Is there anything that you wanted to add to the conversation that you think we might not have touched on so far?
0: I think that parents just need to trust their gut. You are the expert on your child and you are doing amazing. Sometimes you just need help and that's okay. I think that's the biggest thing. If anybody just listening to this, like I know it's overwhelming, there's a lot of information that came at you really fast. But you know, just trust your gut. I, I think Sometimes as women, we ignore our gut and more often than not, it's that second brain that's in our gut. It exists, you guys, like Google it. Um, We we need to listen to it. And this Mm -hmm. is another area. I think we do listen to it a lot better for our children. And like you had said, like, I felt like I was battling for my life because they are, they are your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just, just trust that and just, just trust that you are the best parent for your child for sure. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I always ask two questions at the end of each episode. So that's like the perfect answer for my first question.
0: Yay! <laughs> so
1: the first question was like, what advice would you give to moms yes. overall? So I feel like that's yeah. so great for that. So the other question I have for you is if you can make one meal for your whole family that everyone would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. I would have to go with macaroni and cheese. I think it's the quickest way. The kids are going to love it. You can put as much butter in it as you want. It just gets really cheesy. And then you could add even more cheese on top of it. And that's just a really easy way for everybody to be happy and have their tummies full. <laughs> do you do anything like crunchy on top? Oh, you know what? We haven't. Mostly just like the Parmesan, mm-hmm. like the dry, like age, but it's not yeah. as crunchy as like, yeah, like maybe some chips or something.
1: Well, what do you use? Yeah. Well, no, somebody was just telling me that like you crush up like crushed up Ritz crackers, which would be super <gasps> easy to do. I know. Yeah. Oh,
0: or like
1: just even just like breadcrumbs even. And yeah. just like putting it on a broil for like a couple minutes in the oven.
0: Yeah. I feel like, like that makes so it fancier
1: too. Yeah. yeah I like it. I just that. don't know I'm gonna if my have kids to try would that. like it. A- the kids yeah, like the, the second you take yeah. it to fancy stage they're like no nah, i know good. <laughs> they're
0: like absolutely not yeah that's true yeah i'm right there with you <laughs> oh my gosh all right well
1: thank you so much vicky for taking time out of your busy schedule busy day to talk to us about this really important topic
0: i appreciate you oh i appreciate you for having me on it's so important for us and i hope we started the conversation for a lot of people